You know, this week, I was thinking about how it's interesting sometimes to look into the origins of your favorite songs. Maybe some of you enjoy doing that. Remember, a lot of you are old enough, the, the Carly Simon song. You're so vain, you probably thought this song was about you. You remember the discussions about what's the backstory behind that? Who was that? Did they ever answer that? Did they figure that out? Okay, okay. It's interesting. It's about you? Okay, now we know. Small world, huh? Yeah. It's interesting about Christmas songs, too. The past few weeks we've been singing O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I never knew the story behind that. Philip Brooks was from Boston. Any Bostoners in here? No, we had some at the first service. They were all excited. Yeah. He taught at Yale, uh, but at one point in his life, he took a trip to the Holy Land. And he took a journey, either on the back of a donkey or a horse, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and went to a five-hour Christmas Eve service in the Church of the Nativity at Bethlehem. Five hours. So listen, if we happen to go a little bit over half an hour on Friday, just a little grace. Five hours. But he was so moved by the whole, whole experience that he came back to America and wrote Old Little Town of Bethlehem. And it was a couple years later that a, a children's choir first sung that for the, the first time. Today we're going to look at some older Christmas songs by a long shot, about 2,000 years old. One from Mary, the mother of Jesus, and one from Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And you talk about interesting song origins. Both of these have that going on. We'll start with Mary's song in, in Luke chapter 1. Now, anytime you get two pregnant women together, you know there's going to be a celebration, right? Someone at the first service told me, he said, hey, whenever women get together, the world moves forward. This is like a, an amazing example of that with God's hand on it. This, this is not just two pregnant women. This is an elderly woman, Elizabeth. Zechariah told the angel the way he put it, it was tactful. He said, she's advanced in years. This is an elderly, formerly barren woman and a virgin celebrating supernatural pregnancies as they get together. So no wonder Mary burst into song coming out of this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And we're going to pull three things out of each song, her song and Zechariah's song, that I think we can worship along with them. We can worship the Lord with them. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Some of you have heard the name of this song, Magnificat. It comes from the, the word family where we get magnify there. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now I want to bring out the three things. Number one, why? Why, why does her spirit rejoice in God her Savior? Why does she magnify the Lord? Number one, God lifts up the humble. God lifts up the humble and those who fear him. Look what she says in verse 48. For he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant, Mary. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
Now, we know Mary was humble on at least two levels. Number one, she was humble financially. You know how we know that? When they went to offer the offering for their baby Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, verse 24, it tells us that they offered the gift of, for those who are not wealthy. Luke, Luke 2, 24, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So financially, they were humble. Every young woman in Israel would love to be the mother of the Messiah. Very few humans would have picked Mary and Joseph, this poor couple from the small town, right? They're humble financially, but she's also humble spiritually. Listen to what she said to Gabriel after he told her what's going to happen, and her heart's probably still pounding, probably still racing. Luke one thirty-eight. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Some of your translations say handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you see the humility? Yes, let it be so in my life. And the angel departed from her. It's important to be humble today in 2021 just as it was then. Think about Proverbs 16, 15, 16. It says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and, and trouble with it. Humility and fear of the Lord still matters today. I think about that verse in a world where the, the economy is so uncertain, you hear about it all the time, right? There's great comfort there. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. What about James 4.10? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Right? I think about her blessing. She says she's blessed. She got to... Carry the Son of God physically. Wow. I also thought about the fact that believers in Jesus Christ today carry the Son of God, not physically, but spiritually. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 1.27. He talks about the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you, believer, you are blessed to carry him spiritually. Luke eleven twenty seven. I think about what Jesus said later on in his ministry. He's teaching. And, and it says, as, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice, said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Absolutely. But what does Jesus say? Verse 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We believers have the blessing of carrying Christ within us spiritually, hearing his word and, and obeying it. So listen, as we ponder the gift of Christ this morning, I want to ask us, do we share Mary's humble faith and fear of the Lord? Second thing we see in her song, God's kingdom values are very different than the values of this world. Very different. Look at verse 51. She says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. All these, these people who the world lifts up so high, God has scattered. He's brought them down. And he exalts those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now I... I think Mary 
knowing her Jewish history, knowing her scriptures, she's looking back and she's also looking forward. You remember where we're coming out of, right? Five weeks in Lamentations, the, the destruction of Jerusalem by mighty Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. She could look back at this point and, and see, wow, Babylon rose and fell. And then Persia rose and fell. And then Greece rose and fell as an empire. And even though at this point they're under Rome, she can look and say, look, humble little Israel still remains. We're still here. And look what God's doing. I think she's also looking forward, though. She knows that one day, one day, only God's kingdom will remain. Only God's kingdom will remain. So if God's kingdom values are different than the values of this world, I think we do well to ask, what are his kingdom values? I think a great place to start is the Beatitudes. You think about the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, just, just a few of them, starting at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know this world doesn't satisfy their needs, those who know they need something more. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I know it's Christmas break, but I want to give you all a homework assignment. I think it'd be great for us all to go home and read the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, but also Luke's account of them, Luke 6, 20 through 26, because Luke shares the contrast. Here's, here's one way, here's the contrast. And ask ourselves, whose values do we really subscribe to this morning? God's values or the values of this world? Because God's kingdom values are very different than this world's. Final one in Mary's song. God is always faithful to every one of his promises. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You remember when we closed out Lamentations, that last verse, just paraphrasing, Jeremiah includes that last line, just kind of emotional, unless, unless we've gone too far, unless the Lord has forgotten us. Had he forgotten them? Absolutely not. He remembered his servant Israel as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. How long before Mary had God made this promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, 3, God told Abram, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How much time between that and this moment with Mary? <laughs> 2,000 years. 2,000 long years. How many of us know that sometimes the fulfillment of God's promises are a long time in coming? <laughs> At least as far as how we calculate time. Right? Let me ask you, even though there sometimes is that wait to see the fulfillment, are you resting in God's promises this morning?
Because God always keeps his promises. That's wonderful news. There's three lessons from Mary's song there, right? Number one, God lifts up the humble and those who fear him. Number two, his kingdom values are different than this world's. Number three, God is always faithful to his promises. Now I want to shift over to the priest Zechariah because the origins here are interesting too. You remember what happened? He's working the temple. Angel shows up. You, you and Elizabeth are going to have baby. He doubts it. That's when he says, wait a second. She's advanced in years. She's barren. And what happens to him? The angel says, you're not going to be able to speak for a time. So nine months later, John the Baptist is finally born, and, and God opens Zechariah's mouth. If you have been unable to speak for nine months, what's the first thing you say? <laughs> One of the first things he says is this song. It just bursts out of him as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Verse 67, a little bit later in chapter 1. It says, John, John's father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That word blessed comes from a word where we get the word benedictus. You might have heard this hymn called that before. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And three things, three things to pull out of here. Number one, he was looking at the fact that God will visit and redeem his people by providing a promised king. He's looking at Christ here. Later on, he's going to come back around to John, his own son. But what's he say in verse 68? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That is one of the most precious things about Christmas in my book. God did not send someone else. God himself came here. God the Son Jesus Christ. That's why he says he has visited and redeemed his people. How much does God love us? Matthew 1.22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God himself came on this mission of salvation. He has visited and redeemed his people. Do you know what it means to redeem? Biblically speaking, it means to buy us back out of the slave market of sin. To buy us out of that market. To visit and redeem his people. He goes on in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Horn of salvation, that's a picture of strength. If you grew up around livestock, you got oxes or bulls, you know the horn is the part you don't mess with because that's their strength, right? Horn of salvation, there's a, str a strong raising up of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Why is the house of David important in this whole equation? That's the kingly line. The kingly line. Emmanuel is also the promised king. Luke 1.32. Gabriel, again, he will be great 
and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. The throne of his father, David. Isaiah 9, 6. You remember that's our memory verse this month? Maybe some of you have been storing it away. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But if you go on to verse 7, listen to what it says. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So as you think about this reality, I want to ask you, did you come in here this morning isolated from God by your sin? If so, you do not need to leave that way. That's the real good news of Christmas. Emmanuel, the promised king, came to buy you back and to be with you forever. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the first thing from Zechariah's song. He'll visit and redeem his people by providing a promised king. Second one, the promised king will save his people from their enemies that they might serve him freely. Go on in verse 71. He says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, remember, Zechariah is a Jewish priest. So at the very least, he's thinking about the physical enemies of Israel and looking forward to that day in the millennium when they are free once and for all from, from all of their, their worldly enemies, right? But I don't believe it's limited to that because of where he goes later in this song. We have lots of enemies, and many of them are spiritual enemies. And we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. But listen, he doesn't save us from our enemies, those who believe in Christ, just to save us. He saves us to something as well. Did you know that? It's right here. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. We're delivered so that we can serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I think about our many spiritual enemies, and I think that, that one of the ultimates, perhaps at the top of many lists, is, is death, right? And, and the fear that it brings to people. There are many living today in abject fear of death, Listen to what the author of Hebrews tells us about why Christ came here, God in flesh, at Christmas. Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's all of us, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In my 46 years looking around at the world, 
I have never seen more people in our world paralyzed by fear of death. Listen, what we read here tells us if you put your faith in Jesus, you can be set free from that paralysis, that slavery of fear of death. You can be set free to serve Him without fear. Why? Because He offers eternal life. You read the boldness of the apostles in the New Testament in the book of Acts and beyond. You want to know where it, where it came from? At least partially right there. They, they knew the power of the resurrection and eternal life. And they would not live as slaves of fear. Third thing in Zechariah's song. He's going to bring out that his son John will prepare the way of the king who bears gifts of salvation, light, and peace. Verse 76, he's going to talk about John. Who knows? Maybe he's holding little John while, while he says this. He says, and you, child, will be called the, the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. If you came in bearing a load of guilt because of your sin, you need to understand this is why Jesus came. Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sin. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Some translations say the merciful heart of our God. How beautiful is that? The, the merciful heart of our God. You say, what is mercy? It is when we don't get the punishment that our sins deserve. Ultimately, that in Christ, we don't spend that eternity in hell that we deserve because of our sin. We are spared because of the merciful heart of our God. And he goes on to talk about light. How many of you would agree there's a lot of darkness in this world? He came to bring light. Listen to this. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He came to bring light into the darkness. Now, obviously, this darkness is spiritual. It's metaphorical. So how do you quantify that darkness? How do you define it? William Hendrickson helps with this. He used three Ds for darkness. Number one, the delusion of our twisted thinking. Human wisdom is severely limited and flawed. On our own, we walk into many delusions, which you see running rampant in this world. That's one form of darkness, it's the delusion of our thinking. The second is the depravity of our sin, that reality that, that we are sinful, and if we're honest, we know we're sinful, and we know we can't do anything about it on our own. I think about Daniel at the youth party on Friday night. He was talking about the, the differences between Santa Claus and Jesus. Santa Claus works one day a year and spends the rest of the year judging us, right? Whether we're good or bad. And he doesn't do anything to help us, right? 
What's Jesus do? He died for us, rose again that we might have new life, become a new creation by the Spirit whom He sends. Okay? There's delusion, there's depravity, there's despondency, hopelessness. When you look around the world today, do you see that? Do you see the the hopelessness in the darkness? So what's the light then? Not delusions, it's, it's true knowledge through a relationship with God by His Spirit, right? It's life to His glory in His power, pursuing His will, and it's hope. No longer despondent because of the light of Christ. This light was prophesied in the Old Testament, Malachi 4.2. For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What a picture of joy. Been pinned up in that stall, the doors open, and out they go, jumping. Right? John 8, 12, what did Jesus himself say? He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Finally, he speaks of peace to guide our feet into the way of peace. We live in a world with many ideas of how to achieve peace. (laughs) Apart from this, none of them ultimately work. What is peace? I like the way Lenski defined it. He said, peace is far more than the feeling of calmness, security, and rest, which as such would be deceptive. Why is that deceptive? Feelings come and go. Feelings come and go. It's more than that. He says, peace is the condition of real harmony and friendship between God and us, which was established by Christ and made ours through him. That's the true and and lasting peace, the peace that replaces the gnawing guilt of our sin. Right? Think about Isaiah 53. Why did he come to that manger? To go to a cross. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That is biblical peace that Christ came to bring. What gifts are under the tree? It's a big question this time of year, right? Yesterday, our middle son, Evan, went out to the garage where all of our wrapped presents were, and he carried them in one at a time and put them under the tree, and then we watched our older son, Jaden, go through each one to see which ones had his name on them. What is under the tree? Big question this time of year. It's the ultimate question, really, when you think about this tree. What gifts are under the tree of Calvary. The gifts of salvation are there. The gifts of light. The gifts of peace. Have you found those gifts by faith in Jesus Christ? I hope so. If you have, guess what? We can join along with Mary as she blesses the Lord. And magnifies the Lord. We can join along with Zechariah as he lifts up the name of the Lord. 
and we celebrate the birth of our King. Amen. Lord, I pray this Christmas that you'd help us to appreciate just a bit more the wonders of the gifts that come in Jesus Christ. Think of what Paul said, all, of all of your promises, Lord, they are all yes in Christ. Father, the, the, the God with us, Emmanuel. I think of salvation from that sin from which we could not save ourselves. I think of light in the darkness. I think of freedom where there was fear. I think of peace where there was angst and despair. Thank you, Lord, for the lengths you went. You didn't send someone else. Someone else could not have done the job. Only God himself would do. Thank you that the Father sent the Son into the world to be the light of the world, to lead us to salvation. It's in his, his holy name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, we pray. Amen.